0: So we got a a long passage to read today, and we're going to go ahead and read it, because I think it's important to read it whenever we can, and we have a lot of things to talk about, so I'm just going to kind of jump right in and plow ahead. Let's read Revelation chapter 21, and we're actually going to read all the way through verse 5 of Revelation chapter 22. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. He will will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost, from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. It had a great, a great high wall with twelve gates, and with, the 12 angel, and with twelve angels at the gates. All the gates were written on, excuse me, on the gates were written the twelve names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, and as wide and high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper and a city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh crystallite, the eighth beryl, and the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh just synth. your guess is as good as mine, and the twelfth amethyst. By the way, I guessed on almost all those. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, and each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, For the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life chapter 22 verse one. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the lamb and the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing twelve crops of fruit yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the city are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and He will reign forever and ever. So, this is, and I hope this is clear before we're done, this is what has been waited for by both God and man since creation. What we just read about is what God had planned before creation. If we understand that, that what we've just heard and been described, that this is the ultimate plan of God fulfilled, that answers questions that we often ask about creation and why did God create man and why did God give man a choice, and why did God give angels a choice, and why did God allow sin? The understanding of this chapter will answer those questions, and we'll answer those as we go. The context here, just to kind of get us up to speed very quickly about where we're at, this is the new heaven and the new earth, so in your context, in your notes, all judgment is completed. The judging is all done. Believers enter, non-believers have gone to hell. They have, they have gotten what they chose, and so have believers. So the, it's only believers. All judgment is complete. There is no more sin and death. Remember, death and Hades was thrown into the lake of fire. Sin is no longer a part of our existence because we have been recreated with perfect bodies that have been joined with our recreated souls, and now we live without a sin nature, and no more opportunity to sin. So there's no more sin, there's no more death. And number three, all believers are present for the big reveal. And, and really, I want you to get the idea, this is a big reveal. God is revealing something to John that will be revealed to all believers. So in my mind, we go right from the great white throne judgment, where all believers' names were written in the book of life, re- receive uh, the gift of eternal life, uh, they get to be in the presence of God. And, and when the, when the gavel falls for the last time, and, and those present are all believers, I think we're going to turn around, and as John sees the, the new Jerusalem will be coming down, we'll, we'll see the new heaven and the new earth, and, and we will all of a sudden both visualize and experience what God has been working on since before time began. This is the ultimate fulfillment. Now, to get there, we're just going to go piece by piece. It's in your notes. So I have little phrases from the, from the text. We're going to look through these, and we're going to figure out what it says. So we'll follow the notes from here on out. Revelation twenty one one says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Now, I wanted to find out what passed away meant. What is... What is being communicated here? So I I did some research, and I actually found a lot of help from other translations. So both the NLT and the CEV, they both translate passed away as disappeared. And among other things, the Amplified Bible uses the word vanished. Most of the others uh, stick with passed away. But the idea here is, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for or because the first heaven and the first earth, first earth had passed away. Passed away, sometimes we talk about something has died, it passed away. It has disappeared, it has vanished. And what's being communicated here is that all the old, the old, the part that we know now, the dirt we walk on, the plants we look at, the existence that we live in, it's it's all going to be gone. It's going to disappear, it's going to shrink, it, it's going to just vanish into thin air, and, and something new is coming. I saw the new heaven and the new earth because the first one was gone. So what does that tell us? It's still called earth. So that tells us a little bit. Number one, it's much like the first. I have come to the conclusion that, the, that it's most like the original. It's not going to be just like the original. There's going to be upgrades. But it's most like the original. So anything we can learn about the earth the first sin in particular, but before the flood that gives us an idea of what's going it's going to be like plus some upgrades. So it's much like the first it's recognizable John saw it as the earth but different in many ways and we'll see some of those differences. so it's much like the first it's recognizable but it's different in many ways. number two it's actually replacing the old which was no longer in existence so, Remember last week we talked about the great white throne judgment is between the destruction of the earth and the revealing of the new earth. We're in a, a place where we're with God, judgment takes place, and then this revealing occurs. There's, we, you know, we sometimes talk about, um, you know, the, chapter 20, we talked about the thousand year reign of Christ and it being a, a kind of a, a reshaping or a fixing or a remodeling of the earth for a thousand years, and we talked about how that was much like before the flood, and how God created that, and it was so much better than what we have now, and and the repercussions of that longer life, growing seasons being multiplied, a lot of things like that. Well, now, this is going to be amplifications better than that was. It's going to be brand new. One of the reasons it has to be new, one of the reasons it cannot be another upgrade, is because of what we read in verse 3, where it says God's dwelling place is now among the people. So God gave us a brand new body free from sin. He gave us a brand new soul free from sin. And he's giving us a brand new earth free from sin so that he can live on that earth among his people. The old earth still had sin in it, was still tainted by sin, was still suffering the effects of sin, and God did not come live on that earth. The Godhead did not come live on that earth during the thousand-year reign of Christ. Jesus Christ was here, fully human, fully God, but not the Godhead. Remember back to the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, God stopped coming to the earth. Before that took place... He he walked with them and talked with them. You can read about that in Genesis. And after the sin, he came, dealt with them, and then he's been absent forever. He has not dwelt among his people since then. Because the earth is tainted by sin. God cannot be near sin. God cannot be around sin. And so he he is holy and he's removed. Well, this new heaven and this new earth has no taste of sin, no taint of sin. It has not been compromised. It has not been degraded. It has not been lessened in any way. The people who are walking on this new earth, the believers, they have not been tainted by sin because everything about them is brand new. Everything has been made new, and God gives us a new earth to live on. The next part of Revelation twenty-one-one says, And there was no more sea. This is another indication that it's brand new because we have lots and lots of sea. And so the new one's going to be different. That's one way it's going to be different. But what does that mean, no more sea? Well, it can mean one of two things. Number one, it can possibly mean there's no more salt water, just fresh water. The term sea indicating the kind of water that's there. No more, no more salt water. That's a big change you could see a lot of positives coming from that if you think through that. The other alternative is two. Possible meaning is no more ocean-sized bodies of water. No more ocean-sized bodies of water. And I know they won't fit in the blank. I apologize. Be creative. I put a reference there to Genesis 2, 5, and 6. And this is where it says, And God had not yet brought rain to the earth, but the the plants and everything was watered, the ground was watered by a mist that came up. And it says in some places a spring that comes up. Well, the, the, the whole earth was watered basically by the water in the earth coming up on a daily basis, coming up and then going back down. And that very well could be what's happening. That could be why there's not an ocean-sized body of water. It could be that the land has increased in, in the one-continent-type type, type situation to, so that everyone can be present on that one space. There's lots of things we're going to talk about that will make you think one or the other is correct. I honestly don't have a strong opinion. If you nailed me down on this, I would say it means there's no more salt water. That, 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 has, that has ceased, that all of our water on the earth will be fresh water, and that will be something that helps provide what we need as, as humans living on the earth. So we go to chapter 21, verse 2. It talks about Jerusalem as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Now this is confusing to me because usually we are the bride and and Jesus is the bridegroom. That's the illustration that's almost always through Scripture. And now all of a sudden we read about a city being the bride. And there's no other way to read it. I've tried every way I could think of to read it otherwise. It literally says... The city of Jerusalem is the bride prepared for a husband. And so, so what do we do with that? Well, we take it just like it's written. So number one, do you notice this seems to be a standalone metaphor comparing the beauty of the city to the beauty of a bride? Any any man that's been married who's stood in the front of a church and seen their bride enter the room dressed in white, coming down, there's all of a sudden a realization, wow. That's my life. That person is coming to me. But what you see is the, the white dress, the flowing white dress. And, and that's, that's, that's there for laziness, to get your attention. And so the metaphor is that that's how this city is. This city is, is so impressive, so beautiful, that it compares to when the, the groom sees their bride. So it's a standalone metaphor. Number two, you know, it also implies the response of the groom. The response of the groom—a a, a smile, a overwhelming gratitude, just this: "Wow, it's finally here. This is the day." That kind of response. So we have that metaphor there, and and this city is being described. That's the topic of what we're going to be talking about. So in verse three, it says, "God's dwelling place is now among us." Now, we've talked about how that indicates and, and helps us realize this is, is a brand new creation, but there's more to it than that. God's dwelling place is now among the people. This tells us that God's, it's, this is God's master plan from before creation. So God's master plan from before creation is now being accomplished. And, and to me, this is the most exciting part. God's master plan, the thing that was on his mind from the beginning, before creation took place, before man was created, before man sinned, the mastermind of everything he wanted to accomplish is right here God dwelling among his people. So, in your notes, man is able to have a tangible relationship with God. Tangible means I can see him, I can touch him. I can talk with him. It's a one-on-one relationship with God. B, everyone in this relationship is there by choice. No one has been forced to be there. Everyone is there by choice, and that's how God wanted it. And C, God will receive glory, and man will experience God's kingdom. So I want to go back to B, everything, everyone in this relationship is there by choice. I want to answer a couple of those questions. Why did God create man when he knew he was going to sin? Well, he knew he was going to sin, but he had to let him sin because he had to give him a choice. If man was not given a choice, then we would simply be obligated to worship, and that would not be true worship. Why did God give the angels a choice? Because he wanted them to choose to serve him, to worship him. So they made a choice. Mankind made a choice. Each of us makes a choice. And at this moment in time, there's not a single person in existence in this kingdom that has not chosen to be there. And now, all of a sudden, God is receiving true worship by the worshipers who have chosen to put their faith in him, chosen to follow him. And now those people get to experience God as he intended them to experience him. So the best of everything is happening. God is living among the people. The people have a tangible relationship with him. Everyone is there by choice, and God's receiving glory, and man is experiencing God's kingdom. So, so God allowed sin so we could get here. God created man, even though he knew they would sin, to get here. God allowed the angels to choose right and wrong so they could get here. God endured thousands of years of mankind screwing everything up, so that we could get here, because he knew that some would choose to follow him. So this is the culmination of everything that God wanted. It's present here, and this is why it's for eternity, and it's brand new. Revelation one four, the other side of your notes, it gives us a very short description of eternity. This is not a full description. It's just some highlights. It says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. In parentheses, bringing an end to sorrow. It doesn't say there will be no tears. We often jump to that conclusion there'll be no tears. It says he will wipe every tear from their eye. What will the tears be about? I don't know. They could be tears of joy, they could be tears from missed opportunities, they could be tears from a realization that someone you love is not there. Lots of opportunities for tears, but then God wipes them away. And I do believe that's a permanent wiping away, like there'll be tears, but he's going to wipe them away and we will never again deal with sorrow. It says there'll be no more death. There's no more death because there's no more penalty. There's no more penalty for sin. It's all been paid. The judgment has taken place. And no more penalty is accrued because we're not sinning. There's no more mourning or crying or pain because there's nothing to produce these emotions. So we're getting this description of a a new heaven and a new earth that is so much better than the one before. This one is so much better than the Millennial Kingdom. And the Millennial Kingdom was so much better than what we're experiencing. So it's just a short description. Also in that verse, it says, "...the old order of things has passed away." And, and I, I kind of want to talk about that. I'll give you two examples, or three, of what that sounds like. Number one, life as we know it no longer exists. Okay, life as we know it no longer exists. Whatever well, the reference we have to this life will fail when we try to compare it to the future life. Number two, the way things are will no longer be the case. So when we say today, well, that's life... What we're saying is, that's how things work today. We can't avoid the trouble. We can't avoid the sorrow. That's just how life is. Or we say, well, that's how things are. We just have to accept it. The way things are today, and life today, will be so far in the rearview mirror, that number three, we will have no valid reference to this realm of existence. I'm trying to paint a picture that it's nothing like you can even think of. It's nothing like you can imagine. So, if we ever thought to ourselves, well, all I see on TV about heaven is people sitting on clouds playing harps. That sounds really boring. Oh, they talk about a choir. I don't want to be in a choir for a gazillion years. That sounds terrible. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. What's uh, what's the big deal about heaven? The big deal about heaven is that you cannot even fathom what it's going to be like. You cannot compare this existence... To that existence. And God is setting us up. He said, where's the old world? Here's the millennial kingdom. The millennial kingdom seems thousands of times better than the world we live in today. But that millennial kingdom still has sin in it. It's still tainted. The new earth is still deteriorating. It's not the best. And then he brings out the best. And so the new heaven and the new earth is so much better. And And we can't allow ourselves to say like I know what it's going to be like. I can't say it will be boring. I can't say this is what I'm going to do. I can't say this is how I'm going to spend my time. When we get there, it will be a brand new, completely different existence than what we have now. The old order of things has passed away, vanished, deceased. Revelation 21, 5 through 8, the interesting thing here, and you can read that, is that God himself declares he is God alone. It's always been an angel or a prophet or a preacher, and now God says it out loud. I am God alone, and his will is accomplished. 29, or 9 through 27, lots of verses were given a description of the new Jerusalem. So this is not the new earth. This is the new heaven or the new Jerusalem. This is the city that John saw coming down from earth. That the bridegroom made beautiful for the, for, the, for the groom. The bride made beautiful for the groom. This is the description here. I'm going to give this to you. You're not going to understand it. You're not going to comprehend it. I may even create more questions than you had when you got here. But I'm trying to describe something. John is trying to describe something that we cannot understand. So here's the physical look at the city. Okay? So verse 16 tells us the measurements of the city. I'm going to give it to you in miles. So the city of the New Jerusalem is 1,400 miles long. 1,400 miles long. It's also 1,400 miles wide, and it's 1,400 miles tall. We can stop right there. We've reached an inability to comprehend. What does a city look like that's 1,400 miles tall? I have no idea. The wide and the the length make it a city larger than the nation of India. Just think of India, go find it on a map, look at it. The city is larger than India. Okay, it's going to have almost 2 million square miles in the city limits within the walls. Okay? It's 1.9-something-something something million square miles. If we just stacked buildings and stacked rooms in that, in that space, the long, the wide, and the tall, which just isn't how it's going to be because it's a city, but if we did that, there's enough room, this is in your notes, there's enough room for 1.5 quadrillion, 1.5 quadrillion 2,800 square foot apartments with a 12-foot ceiling. Okay, 1.5 quadrillion. I have no idea what that number is. I know it's a lot. Okay, that's if we just filled it full. That's just for reference. It it will, of course, have courtyards and it will have streets and stuff like that. But this is a city that could hold that many. So that gives us an idea of how many people will be there. It gives us an idea of how much room is, is God has allotted for this city. Verse 17 tells us the walls are 200 feet thick. 200 feet thick. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention this. fourteen um, hundred miles tall. Let's just say that there's a peak, like the top of some gigantic space needle or something, that, that is the measurement for that 1,400 miles tall. That would be the equivalent, in, in our language, of 600,000 stories. 600,000 stories tall. If it were built on this earth, it would, it would go into space. It would leave our atmosphere, and it would be in space. So however that city is measured in its height, there is at least one point that is 600,000 stories tall. So the, the wall is 200 feet thick. 200 feet thick is a pretty massive wall. Okay? It doesn't give us really any more descriptions of the wall, but that's how thick it is. Verse 19 and 20, there are 12 foundations. Now there's people here that build things. And there's engineers that make plans to build things. And then there's me. And I had never heard of anything that had two foundations. This thing has 12 foundations. I don't know how they go together. One on top of another. I don't know how this works. But we're talking about something so big that it requires 12 foundations. And I'm thinking these foundations have to go all the way. So this is a huge, huge endeavor. 12 foundations, they they were described there. Verse 22, there's no temple because God will be ever-present. The temple was where you went to deal with God. It was where you went in the Old Testament because God was in the Holy of Holies. You brought your sacrifice to Him at the temple. There's no temple because God is everywhere in this city. He's ever-present, and you can interact with Him. Verse 23 says there's no sun or moon needed because God's glory is the light. His glory will light up the city. Verse 24, it would seem that the light from Jerusalem will light the entire world. Because we talk about the, the world, well and it says you need no, no lamp, you need no, 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 no sun. So whether, whether God's glory just encircles the world so we don't need light, or God's glory shines forth from this city, we don't need the sun and we don't need the moon. Okay, verse 25, the gates are never shut. Why aren't gates shut? Well, it said there's no night time. Why do you shut the gates at night so no one sneaks in? These gates don't need to be shut because there is no danger. Everybody is welcome. Verse 26, there will be nations, because kings will bring their tribute, and they will worship as nations. They will worship Christ as nations. So we're not going to lose our, our nations. There's going to be kings. We've, we've heard about the, some of the, the kingdom in that. Some of the rewards are you will have authority over so many people. Some will be rulers over 10,000 people. Some will be rulers over 1,000 people. Some will be rulers over 100 people. We read that in the Bible so we know there's government, there's structure, and there's kingdoms. The difference is these kingdoms as a whole will worship God, as well as the individuals that make up the kingdom. This is not like the millennial kingdom. No one will forget who God is. No one will be tempted with sin. No one will be deceived. Everyone will worship God for eternity. Now beyond these things, we don't know a whole lot. But if you have any kind of a picture in your mind of what this looks like, make sure it's coming down onto the earth. It's 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles long, 1,400 miles tall. And this is the city God, that God has created for us. The first part of chapter 22 tells us a description of Israel's territory, for so the land around Jerusalem. It says the river of life will flow from the throne of God. And then it says the river of life has waters that feed the tree of life. It's not in your notes, but it's interesting that the tree of life is said to be on both sides of the river. So somehow it's so big that the tree of life grows on both sides of the river. Maybe the roots are connected underneath the river, or maybe the river flows through it somehow. I don't have an explanation. But it says the tree of life is growing on both sides of this river. And this river feeds the tree. It says there is no curse, there is no night, and God will reign from from, from this place, from Jerusalem, for eternity. And so we we'll have this picture. They don't know what this city is going to be like, but here's, here's how I read this. All the believers will live in this city. When, when, when God said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, if it were not so, I would have told you. In my Father's house are many mansions. Some say rooms, some say mansions, some say place. What if this city, not what if, here's, here's what it is. This city... This huge city where God dwells among the people, that's where we will live. Your, your mansion, I don't know the square footage of it, but it's, it's got to be large to be called a mansion, 2,800 square feet, that's bigger than my house. There's going to be courtyards, streets, parks, everything that makes a city a city, streets of gold. There's going to be places to interact, but all of us are going to live in this city, there's gates to this city. We're not just going to live in the city. We're going to go in and out of the city. I believe we're going to live in the city and we're going to go out into the earth to do several things. To enjoy it. Here's some things to ponder. Perhaps we will all live in the city and enjoy the new creation as we come and go for work, for recreation, for worship, for relaxation, for personal interactions, or just to marvel at what God has done. We will live with God in the city and we will go in and out onto, into the creation. If Number two, if the renovation of the earth for the first thousand year reign is so much better than the earth we're experiencing, how much better will the brand new earth upgrade be? It will be exponential to the point where we can't comprehend it. If we all live in the New Jerusalem and travel around the earth regularly, perhaps we'll be able to travel differently than we do now. I get that from 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 the angels who seem to be able to travel great distances in short periods of time. I also get that from a couple of occasions. If you remember, where Philip was witnessing to the Ethiopian eunuch, and when he baptized him, all of a sudden he disappeared and reappeared somewhere else. Time and space did not have an effect on him at that moment in time. You read about the calming of the storm, where Jesus met the disciples out on the out on the water, and it says instantly, all of a sudden, they were present at their at their destination. So we know that, that God has the capacity to make this possible. Maybe that's how we'll travel. Maybe on one occasion, we'll casually make our way across creation because our point today is to enjoy it. Maybe on another occasion, we'll go from point A to point B instantly because we have a purpose in being there. We have a job to do. We have someone to talk to, something like that. So maybe travel will be different. Number four, perhaps, and this is one of my favorites, perhaps in the new creation we'll have more than five senses. Or maybe we will just work really, really good. Right? There's an old Chris Rice song from the nineties, if you're that old. And it says it says, Maybe we'll smell the color nine. Smell the color nine. Maybe there's more senses. I hope so. Wouldn't that be incredible? What I do know from reading this is is that this is exactly what God planned for us from the beginning of the planning. And if God has planned this, and it it is Him saying, here is the best for you. It's going to be worth it. And it's going to be incredible, and it is going to surpass our expectations, and we need not worry about what we're going to do, because the problems we have today aren't going to exist there, and we're not going to have a problem with being bored, or confused, or lethargic, or depressed, or anything else, those problems aren't going to be there, and we're simply going to live for eternity exactly the way God intended it where he is in a relationship with us, it is a direct relationship, he's receiving the honor and glory that's due his name, and we are experiencing the benefits of our faith. I don't know how to say it any different than that, but go to bed tonight and dream about what it's going to be. Wake up, tell someone how cool your dream was, and then realize you're not even close. And then have another dream the next night. Father God, thank you for including this chapter where we see this incredible city coming down from heaven that we cannot explain. We don't really know what it looks like. We just have a glimpse, 12 foundations, gates that are made from a single pearl, 1400 miles, 1,400 miles tall. We can't fathom this. And that's the point. You have something prepared for us that's beyond comprehension. And I look forward to seeing it. Thank you that you have promised that those who believe will see it. So Father, I pray for anyone who does not yet believe that they will put their faith in you for the forgiveness of their sin so that they can join us on this great day when you reveal the absolute best that you've prepared for us. Please be with us this week. Help us to contemplate these things. Help us to just revel in your glory. In your son's name I pray, amen.